Welcome to Nine Cents, people. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of the modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you. It is September 20th, and boy, do we have a fantastic show for you this week. I say we because I'm being joined by the one and only Witch Zaftig. How are you, my dear? I am quite well. How are you? I am. <laughs> that was really nice. I didn't even see any sign language when you said that either. I know, I know. I, I tend to, I tend to uh, gesticulate, if that's the word in English, with my hands quite a bit. Yeah, I had to adjust my gesticulate <laughs> earlier. That doesn't sound right. All right. Um, okay, so we do have a wonderful show for you this week. Uh, we're going to start with Unorthodoxy with Witch Zafdig, episode 13. What are we calling this one? Uh, today we're going to talk about the grimoire otherwise known Ooh. as the magic book. So scripture, manuscript, codex, or papyrus. You know, they have Sweet. different sort of names historically. Um, but the grimoire itself and, and its lore, its history, and uh, I'll give bring in a couple of contemporary examples. Oh, yeah. I love me the grimoire. This harkens back to, uh, like, my early occult roots, where there was such a thing as, like, a magic book that I sought oh, after. Cool. And it's just really exciting. I'm, I can't wait for that. And then, of course, Agent Provocateur. Darren has episode 25 in my inbox, a press conference concerning the recent allegations. A little mysterious, but it'll all be clear here shortly. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to close this out with an old Nick's Peep Show, episode 24. We're getting up with these episodes here. Yeah. So I've been um I've been thinking because even though we still have a long way to go before the end of Nine Cents, we're only halfway through this beast, um, the projected life cycle, I've been thinking about what I want to do next. And the more I think about it, the more I'm pretty confident what I'm going to do next is sort of double down on Wart Nation, which is my homebrewing uh, blog. I'm going to do a lot more wine, a lot more beer, but I'm going to center it around this idea of uh, the homebrewer's garden. So it's going to be a lot of outside, a lot of garden, a lot of Adam in the dirt talking about <laughs> different plants and, and vegetables and different components uh, from your own backyard that you can use in your brewing. So we're going to be talking about wines and grapes that I'm growing, and it's going to be a lot more organic. It's not going to be satanic in any possible way overtly at all, except for that it is my passion. So <laughs> for those of you who are interested in gardening or home brewing or um, just you know hearing me talk... <laughs> I think I may be the only one there, but <laughs> for those of you interested, uh, that's gonna. I think uh, I think that's what's gonna happen next. And I'm, I am, uh, I'm going back and redoing videos. 
not redoing, but doing more videos. So this weekend I was working on the first of a three video series for War Nation and it's gonna be my pumpkin ale video series. Every year I grow pumpkins and I make uh, this really wonderful American ale that I then uh, steep the pumpkin pulp and add pumpkin spices into the secondary. So you end up with this really rich, really bold uh, pumpkin ale and it is so delicious and it goes like my friends drink the shit out of it and so I have to make two batches in a row in order to have any for myself and for the holidays um, mm -hmm. you're gonna see delicious. yeah from beginning <laughs> to end the entire process with these videos and uh, it's uh, well I hope it's entertaining I hope it's gonna be fun um, and that first, I, like I almost, I, up until like 20 minutes ago, was working on the first video and it, I just got to add like an end to it and we're all good. So it's all oh, recorded awesome. and everything. I, gotta work I on thought color. you were about to say up until 20 minutes ago, I was drinking it. And I'm like, hey man, it's like 10 a.m. where you are. Slow your roll. <laughs> you have a problem, Adam. <laughs> we need to talk. I know it's delicious and it's the weekend, but maybe. No, this first, so this first video is just about the pumpkin side of it. So uh, awesome. I have not been doing any drink. It's all editing. No drinking for Adam. Um, but uh, I was drinking in the video, to be fair. Well, <laughs> as you should. I mean, clearly. Yeah. You, have <laughs> you, to, have you have to show everyone the experience. Uh, what it's it was like. fun, yeah. though, man. It, I, it was, I had this really weird experience of... It's a Saturday afternoon, midday, completely silent. I mean, I have I live fairly close to an airport, and so every once in a while an airplane flies overhead. So that's re and we, my neighbor's dogs are yappers, and so those two things are really the big uh, issues I have to deal with when recording outside. I have this really great lanyard I've been using, and so the sound is really powerful, really close in, uh, really tonal. It's it's actually quite nice. But as soon as I get out there, I get my camera set up, I get everything set up and ready, my lanyard is in my pocket, I've got everything ready to go, and I'm like taking a deep breath to say the first line, and a lawnmower starts up right behind me. Like, <laughs> these fuckers were waiting, just laying in wait on the other side of my fence for me to get, because it, I mean, it's a process getting set up. It's not yeah. like you just go out there and you're do 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 start it up. They had to know I was doing something, and they were just fucking waiting. Like, okay, here he goes. He's taking a breath. Take a breath. <laughs> and start the fucking bastards. Yeah. Those bastards. So I had to sit there and wait for them to finish mowing. And um, okay, so continue with the show really quick here. Uh, next week is going to be different. So I was approached by Magister Harris about his Satanism Today segment. Um and he wanted to have me as the focus. And I thought it would be really weird for me to host the show. And then I'm actually like a, the sole subject of the segment. I think that's weird. So instead, I asked him if he wanted to take over the show. So it wasn't just Adam, 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 Adam. It was a little more broken up. Um, awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm stoked about it. I don't really know what it's going to be about yet. So it's going to be like Barbara Walters. I'm going to be crying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love my family. You're or something so like that. Um, but uh, so next week, expect uh, a completely different style episode. So Magister Harris, which height, Heather Height, they are going to be taking over the show entirely. And they are going to, uh, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. They're going to make amazing. it better, probably. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Great. Everyone's going to be like, hey, why don't you just stop talking at them and let them do it from <laughs> now on? <laughs> no. I'll just go to the garden. <laughs> Leave my garden. 
Uh, so expect that next week is, is going to be completely different. I just want to remind everyone, you know, there's a lot of different ways that Nine Sense is, uh, you know, breaking through media. Um, we obviously have this podcast. Uh, we do these Get to Know series, which are live videos um, that are on the YouTube channel here. But we also have the Nine Cents Presents Satanist and Satanic Cinema Project, which is a callback to that uh, really wonderful Church of Satan suggested film list that was originally compiled in Church of Satan by Magister Barton. Um, but it is now living on the churchofsatan.com website. And this is, you know, one thing that I think people forget, even Satanists, I think, um, more often than not, unfortunately, is that... Um, Anton LaVey stressed the idea of having a sense of humor. Satanism mm. is not all dark and mysterious and <laughs> scary and, ooh, I'm in the dark in the basement, mom. You know, it's... I don't know why I did that. That was weird. <laughs> it's not supposed to be down. You're supposed to have fun. You're supposed to enjoy yourself. Uh, yeah. And that's exactly what this is. It's Satanists sitting around watching a movie that's on the satanic film list and just riffing, having fun, laughing, joking, talking about Satanism or elements of Satanic um, uh, wit and wisdom that are within that film or aren't, depending on the film. So, you know, you can actually get these. We have even, which Zaftig is uh, featured in one of these really wonderful, it was the Carnival of Souls episode, so definitely check that out. Uh, com is where you go, or Google Play, Amazon MP3, iTunes. Uh, it is literally everywhere, uh, but you should check it out. It's super cheap and uh, it's fun. It's just It is a lot fun. of fun. Yes. All right, let's start the show off strong with some unorthodoxy with Witches Zaftig. I'm ready. Fascination is a binding which comes from the spirit of the witch through the eyes of him that is bewitched. Entering fascination is a binding. Now the instrument of fascination is the spirit, namely a certain pure, lucid, subtle generated of the pure blood by the heat of the heart. On uh, this segment, um, this segment of Unorthodoxy with Witch Zaftig, we're going to be talking about the grimoire. Dun, so, dun, which, dun. Ah, which is essentially uh, a magic book. So a book containing some sort of magical or secret knowledge. The proper French way to pronounce it would be grimoire. And I can do that because I actually speak French. Nice. So... Uh, the word itself likely comes from the French grammaire, um, which originally referred to work written in Latin. But by the 18th century, it was used in France, France to refer to uh, magic books, perhaps many of them, uh, because many of them continue to circulate in Latin manus manuscripts. The Latin manuscripts were only accessible to the elite because it was the language of education at the time. Some of the other the publications were in French. So the term grimoire comes out of France in terms of these books. But they sort of get retroactively applied to different types of codex, manuscripts, um, uh, scriptures, papyri, um, when different scholars sort of look back uh, at some of the texts, the, the surviving texts from different eras. So um, uh, grimoires exist because of the desire to create a physical record of magical knowledge, reflecting concerns regarding the uncontrollable and corruptible nature of oral transmission, of valuable secret and sacred information. So for the most part, we assume that some of these uh, spells, 
uh, curses, um, magical types of ways of healing. So there would be medical, because the, the magical book and the medical book for much of Western history is often the same. Huh. You know, treating a particular illness meant conjuring a particular spirit that could either help that <laughs> Uh, illness or a spirit that um, uh, was the cause. So it would be like ba banishing that spirit to get rid of someone's gout. So but there, the idea is uh, someone at some point collects this information. And the different types of grimoires are kind of fascinating. Sometimes it's a theologian themselves who collects information and stories and uh, of spells and saying, well, this is, this is bad knowledge. And then there's others who have a, more of a, a curiosity who collect them thinking, oh, this is clearly important knowledge and, and putting them down and writing them in text. Uh, just to give you a little bit of what it means to have a magical book in terms of our contemporary popular narrative, it's uh, extremely popular. We say grimoire or magic book and or spell book, and we have these meta narratives happening. So Buffy uh, in the series, if you've ever watched it, had the Brecken Breckenkrieg grimoire, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. In the show Charmed, um, with um, uh, the very hot, <laughs> with the very hot brunette girls, uh, they had a book of shadows, which I think was kept in the attic, if I'm not mistaken, and they would consult that for, um, uh, for different types of spells. And even in True Blood, very recently, they have something called the Vampire Bible, which was revealed, I believe, in season four. <laughs> yeah, because you don't have it memorized. <laughs> or something like that. So, um, uh, in, even though in the True Blood the vampire bile doesn't feature significantly, it does, and it doesn't necessarily say it's a magic book, um, it does sort of lend credence to this notion in Western history that we have a, a primacy of the special nature of textual documents, the contract, the scripture, you know, even in Satanism, we look, we say, uh, anytime someone has misunderstandings about this, you know, Satanism, we say, just read the Satanic Bible. It's all there. So um, because the development of magic book is, uh, um, develops sort of alongside Christianity, and that's an important factor because Christianity places the primacy on text. Here's their canon literature. If you, and if you listen to our last segment last month, you sort of get an idea of what that means. So something becomes canon, it becomes the prime text, is therefore untouchable. So in Western history, if these books in themselves have uh, special properties because they're books and they're only accessed by uh, especially skilled people, uh, people who know Latin, people who can read ancient Arabic and sometimes of the other ancient texts, the aristocracy, um, then they are viewed uh, automatically as occult and arcane, something sort of hidden. Um, I don't know if I brought this example up before, but a contemporary way to look at this is uh, computer programming. People who have, uh, have special knowledge that go to special schools to decipher uh, mysterious hieroglyphs in terms of, you know, like binary code and things like that. Yeah. It's a special language accessible only to a select few. Like how many people use computers every day but don't, wouldn't know how to code anything. I'm, I'm one of those people. I would have no idea. I use a very user-friendly platform for my blog, which has it all preset for me because <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't know how to uh, edit that or alter it myself. So uh, a book of magic has this kind of allure, like even if people are accessing books and reading books, um, um, the idea is the 
book becomes a bit of a, a talisman, the magic book. It has um, once compiled special properties. Uh, even if people aren't, um, even those who aren't reading it hear about it. Oh, they so-and-so has read the the mysterious book of whatever. Because <laughs> in um, one particular example, um, which came around in the news very recently, and I can link to this on the blog, is the Codex uh, Gigas, Gigas. I'm not quite. I'm not entirely yeah. sure to uh, pronounce the G's in English um, in, in terms of words I actually haven't heard before. Um, but this particular codex isn't strictly a grimoire, so it's not necessarily a magic text. But it's from the 13th century, give or take. Um, and it was written in Latin. And uh, the, even though the origin of the manuscript is uh, not entirely known, what is interesting is that it has this magical lore attached to it. So what it is essentially is a massive manuscript. It's about a meter in length. It would take two people to hold it. Um, uh, gigas or gigas means giant. So the giant codex. Um, it, it would take the, the lore behind it is that a particular uh, monk was produced the manuscript in just one night with the devil's help. And because it's so, <laughs> and because it's so massive, that would be impossible. But they do think, because of the way the script uh, was written, that it does seem to be written relatively uniformly with by the same hand or a similar hand, uh, which is incredibly unusual for such a giant manuscript. That uh, almost never happens, um, and that uh, because this legend uh, started. Um, uh, they suspect that then it was religiously propagated, you know, to sort of like enhance its mysterious nature. But the text itself isn't necessarily magical knowledge. It actually contains uh, sections of the Hebrew Bible and sections of the New Testament and along with other uh, parts in it. But it does contain some medical, i.e. slash magical type of uh, knowledge. And um, uh, the legend about it was also that it was cursed, and this is another thing you see in meta narratives. Um, that sometimes in these very in these B horror films, um, the person who who accidentally accesses the book um, gets cursed, and all these things happen to yeah. it. <laughs> Evil Dead. Yeah, the Evil Dead, and that the book itself has power and property beyond the, the its contents. Mm -hmm. That mere proximity somehow corrupts the person so uh that anybody who had handled this particular manuscript apparently had uh, was cursed it is now housed in the national library of stockholm and modern visitors appear to be immune to its curse but we <laughs> we're not sure <laughs> uh next it's really time still out <laughs> yeah had i known it was there when i was in stockholm i i totally would have uh tried to go see it but i'll probably end up back in scandinavia at, at some point yeah so to, to tie back into what it means for other types of, of books. So the grimoire, even though only develops a bit later, um, the, the word grimoire or magic book develops a bit later in um, Western lexicography, lexicon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, uh, the idea of specialized book pre-exists that um, by uh, several uh, centuries, if not uh, millennia. There is this idea that the source of magic, the source of, of specialized knowledge comes from ancient Egypt or ancient Persia. And we have uh, evidence of this um, for different writings. So Pliny the Elder, who was writing in the first century of the current era, writes, without a doubt, magic was first invented over there in Persia by Zoroaster. 
And he's sort of referencing this idea that people that come from the Middle East have this sort of specialized ancient knowledge that even predates um, Christianity and Judaism. Yeah. The Bishop of Norwich in uh, the 12th century uh, posited that there was a secret book of magic that had been hidden in the Ark of the Covenant, and he writes it in one of his texts. He writes, the Ark was of small compass, but yet even there were preserved the arts of magic and idolatry. So he's assuming that there has been this secret type of magical book passed along even among Christian theologians, that he just has to search for it and he'll find it. <laughs> because there would be the open knowledge, like in canon scripture in the Bible, but then there would be secret knowledge accessible only to a select few, which wasn't uncommon for a lot of mystery religions. Um, even today, right, in our magical groups, mm -hmm. uh, there is an idea that uh, you advance within the group after the, you, you sort of get past the outer levels. The COS doesn't have quite the same thing, but there is certainly the idea of an outer, an, an outer layer and an inner layer. But uh, as far as I know, I haven't advanced that much. As far as I know, no one's going <laughs> like, to hand me like a second book. And we're like, here, this is what we're really about. You know? but, Shh, don't talk about the second book. Yeah. But, <laughs> but who knows? Maybe I'm just not esoterically advanced enough to get access. Uh, uh, <laughs> even according to the Jewish Talmud, uh, nine-tenths of the world's sorcery resided in Egypt. The Library of Alexandria, um, one of the greatest, largest libraries in the world, the time, attracted scholars from all over the Hellenized world. So people would come specifically to look at these texts because they had been collecting things. And, uh, but what's most interesting about those types of texts is that they are, they predate most of the, the, the current knowledge. So they would be pagan, quote unquote, non-Christian texts. Um, so that there was a point within medieval theologian scholarship where they were going back and looking at um, Arabic texts, you know, so texts all over from the Middle East, uh, ancient Greek texts, and even uh, from, from the Roman world, uh, and translating them into their current uh, Latin in the medieval time, uh, looking at it through the prism of their perspective, saying, well, here's ancient knowledge that we should have access to. And they would often um, coincide or somehow marry these ideas with biblical re revelation. So it, you find excerpts of theologians who were writing in their book. And they would be stationed, well, not stationed, <laughs> that's a military term. <laughs> they would be uh, living as a cleric in some small town somewhere in Europe, and they would be keeping a logbook of their daily activities. And you find several references where, oh, farmer so-and-so um, asked me to come and bless his field and told me to bring the Bible. And also he had the local shaman come or the local healer magician come and also say a, a spell of blessing and the theologian doesn't like that so much sometimes but we have these incidences of of uh, we tend to view them as separate as moderns like magic and christianity but they're really not because this particular farmer sometime in the high medieval period is viewing them both as hey i'll just bless my field as well i'll use whatever i can you know like mm -hmm. if it's the priest that's can if god can do it or yeah we're gonna I'm going to hedge my beds to make sure I, I have a good crop. And you, you, the more you look at medieval ideas, the more you see that for quite a bit of it, there's this overlap all the time, and they're, and they're developing alongside each other. I want to give a, a, an example of uh, even ancient magic that has sort of ancient Hebrew or Jewish magic uh, that has contemporary repercussions. So bear with me for a moment. 
so in the book of Exodus, um, very old text, Moses and Aaron uh, triumphs over the Egyptian magicians, turning their rivers and pools of blood and summoning a plague of flies. And the, the, the actual passage goes, he's confronting these, uh, the Pharaoh. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things with their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. <laughs> so uh, it's called docking in the. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can you can look that up later. Um, Don't look it you, up, people. <laughs> if you read this passage, it could be a scene from Harry Potter: magicians battling with their magical staffs and wands, right? Yeah. And there's snake imagery and the ancient magic image in the idea of here's this sort of um, great powers at work, and it may be surprising to moderns to read something like that within. Um, within uh, ancient texts, but that's because we're sort of, we, we sort of trained or we've, we've been conditioned to not see it. We've been conditioned to sort of think, well, that is um, a religious understanding. And I'm saying, well, the idea of a specialized magical person with a staff or wand has, has its roots <laughs> in ancient, the ancient Middle East and that, and that it's written in scripture and that something like Harry Potter today is reflecting this very ancient idea. It's always there. Gandalf is also another yeah. prime example of the idea of a magician who has a staff or a wand, some sort of instrument by which they can wield their power. Uh, so the staff, the wand, the book, all these things that you might adopt if you're um, doing a Halloween costume today um, has a particular history. It is not just popular culture reflecting it, popular culture is actually um, being informed by these very old ideas, even if we don't see them so much anymore, except for in um, costumes and Halloween yeah. and our fiction, our works of fiction and our, our, our art, so to speak. Um, so uh, the, what I just wanted to highlight, one last thing, is that um, because we are always viewing ancient things through the prism of our modern intellectual mind, that uh, we uh, divide them. And my suggestion for anybody who would be interested in looking at these things is to try to eliminate this divide of what you think is Christianity think is magic, think is medicine, and think is art, or think is just, you know, baloney or pseudoscience. And it can be to the modern way of looking at things. But if you want to try to understand something in its own context, then you tend to, you have to try to eliminate those bifurcations of how we're looking at it. And if you look up this uh, giant codex, the Devil's Bible, <laughs> and you read information on it, that's how you're going to have to view it. I'll put some links to some articles. I tried to find a lot more on this particular text, but it wasn't. There isn't a lot. Maybe there will be a bit more now. Um, but it doesn't matter. There's different types of grimoires out there that you can that you can view. And once you sort of eliminate what you think you know, um, then the text itself becomes a lot more interesting. Uh, the book that I reference the most today is a book by Owen Davies, and the title is called Grimoires, A History of Magic Books, and I'll put a link to that also on the uh, website. Oh, that is fantastic. I love this stuff so much. I, and we, I think you and I have spoken to this idea in the past where you reflect on histories with your modern modern sensibilities, and mm -hmm. you're actually doing an injustice to the history. Um, 
I, I do truly, truly love the idea of, of forgetting what we understand and know and then uh, just traveling back in time and experiencing these uh, tomes, these grimoires mm-hmm. in the mindset of those who wrote it and believed it. And it is so, yeah. so goddamn powerful. I have, um, I don't know if you can see my book behind me. I, I, I've been a big fan of this occult side of thought for a long time and when i say mm-hmm. occult side of things this is my pre uh pre self-identifying as a satanist um sort of that path that brought me to satanism but you know things like um alistair crowley's the book of the law um mm-hmm. necronomicon totally fiction yeah. but if you divorce yourself from that knowledge that it was fiction, it can be very, very real. Yeah. It, it's, it's just yeah. made up. You don't know. I mean, the Bible is just made up and yet it has such power and authority. You were yes. talking about um, how the, uh, the farmer had the priest and the shaman come and bless his field. Magic is even today a very real part of life. And again, divorce yourself from the idea of satanism um when i was a young man my sister uh she uh had her son and she was living in an apartment all alone her husband is left and then ended up dying so she was a solo mom raising her son and she would have my stepfather who is in the priesthood of the mormon church come and bless it and that was like a normal thing growing up as a kid you know you have inner circles of revelation, of, of knowledge, of disseminating, like, you know, from the outside, we can genuinely see it as uh, spells or, or forbidden knowledges. And the, the Mormon church is really big with this secrecy thing. Yeah, yeah it and, is. <laughs> and, and the, the revealing of these, these ancient, um, uh, as they term it, ancient understandings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the environment I was raised in. So I had 100%, I 100% believed in magic and blessings and curses and uh, sure. ancient books and the power that those books had. I love how you brought up the staffs too. That story you told, I... I it was one of the um, most powerful stories in my uh, uh, searches as a young man because it told me that if this sense of power and magic that amazed so many people was common, like other people just threw out their steps and they're like, oh, you can't impress me. We, yeah. <laughs> I've got 10 guys here doing the same thing. Yeah, maybe your snake is bigger and can bite it, but the the knowledge is there. And so this 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 tradition of magical knowledge excited me. And still to this day, you know, in the same way I watch horror movies, it, it excites me when I hear it. Um, I, I just, I love this stuff so much. Uh, one thing I have to say about um, the segments that you bring forward um, with this is... I'm always a little bit afraid. I don't know where this comes from. I'm always a little bit afraid that 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 sense of wonder that I have will somehow be leached away from me the more and more I learn, the more I grow. But Interesting. Okay. It does like, and and there was a period in my life where I did truly believe it. Like the more I understand the reality of things, the less magical things are. You know. Right. But yeah. these segments, they don't follow suit with that. I get excited about hearing how they work come to be how how we came to understand now again our sensibilities adjust meanings and intention but if you can just live in these uh, words that you're reading in the moment that they were written or even supposedly have been written right. um it's yeah. it's it can really open up this sense of wonder and excitement for you and i imagine yeah. tell me if it's true or not for you that that's part of why you do what you do 
I think so. I just, I'm just thinking about it now that you bring that up. Like, did I ever feel sort of disillusioned? Um, I, I think it depends on why someone would go in and study religion or different types of uh, human behavior, especially if there's a mysterious component to yeah. it, right? To whatever there is they're kind of looking at. Um, uh, I, I was not entering the study of religion as a cynic in the sense of uh, being anti-theist. Like, I hate religion, I'm going to study it yeah. as a pure social science. Because those types of scholars, you can their, their work is also less exciting. I mean, it may be good, it may be incredibly critical, but they're sort of um, dismissing or downplaying um, or omitting entirely the awe of something. I think you can include the awe and the, the mystery of something without witnessing for it. You know, I, I don't have to tell you I'm, I'm not a Christian. <laughs> like, <laughs> yep. You know, like to, 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 to appreciate sometimes some of the mystics that spoke of, about God in some of these really fantastically esoteric and magical ways, you know, their, their commun direct communion with God and some of their mystical experiences. Like, so to me, that's kind of exciting. Um, and I find it a shame that certain uh, religious uh, sects, as different, you know, religions have branches, um, sort of downplay the mystical elements. Like, oh, that's, that stuff's a little too weird. Like, you find that in a lot of religions. Like, oh, the Sufis, mm, they're not really Islam. And I'm like, but they're doing fantastically interesting stuff. So um, I entered into it as a genuine curiosity about the human animal. And I've always been uh, curious about people's motivations and um, schooling a allowed me to apply uh, a natural perceptive ability about human behavior uh, and intuition about how mo people's agendas and motivation into uh, a science it, it into a skill that I could apply you know in a with a clear methodology and theory behind it so I was always kind of good at reading people but now <laughs> now I can look at behave like not just individuals but then large movements of human behavior with all this knowledge attached to it so uh, to me it just sort of makes me a better reader at, of people in a sense I'm, uh, to anticipate behavior to be fascinated by human behavior to do all these uh, kinds of things so it's it's really all about me <laughs> I don't know uh, I, yeah I, the, the, the demystification you certainly see that with some scholars and but I think they either come into it because they were feel jaded or they come into it wanting to have a spiritual experience and then don't oh, get it yeah. I've yeah. seen a couple of those scholars too they sort of went into it thinking that they would be exposed to the world and wanted to have like some wonderful, <laughs> like the world's secret knowledge in a sense. And then they got social science and felt like, <laughs> you know, like then they were disappointed by that. But yeah. I'm, that was not my case. So, um, uh, I've actually in one of the one of the witch uh, Choiser, who's part of the COS, um, who because she has done a lot of studies in religion, her and I have had a lot of conversations about why we studied it, and maybe in a future segment I'll I'll, I'll bring her on and we can talk a little bit That'd about be cool. that because, uh, yeah, because she has interesting insights even then because she's has more of a science background as opposed to a, a social science background a little like in what she does in her real life I won't mention it because I'm not yeah. I'm not sure <laughs> what she's revealing, uh, but still she would have some. She insight works at Dunkin' Donuts. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> she well pissed. But, but, but she, you know, like it's a science to put batter into um, <laughs> into oil. <laughs> I mean, that's chemistry. Come on. Uh, uh, anyway, so to me, the the scholar is looking for a particular thing. I think of the scholars looking for um, salvation via their work, uh, then mm -hmm. a spiritual salvation. They're yeah. gonna they're gonna be disappointed. 
Uh, but if they're looking to be interested in human behavior and to constantly be fascinated, every time I think I know something, and there's certainly areas of my studies that I know down pat and I will claim to be an expert in certain things, absolutely. Even um, an international expert in certain things. Because wow. there's, there's only, like, what, five scholars on Satanism? So, <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm one-fifth of them. Hey. Um uh, but every time I think I know something, I then, even with Satanism, I come across all kinds of things that I hadn't been exposed to before. An unread essay the other day I came across of LaVey's, which was, blew my mind. And, oh, and then, really? Or just a new take on things. Um, and then, or coming across other people who um, know so much more than I do, that even if I do this for 30 years, I'll probably never know as much as they do. Wow. So you can be intimidated by all this stuff you don't know, or you can just say, well, I'm plodding along, you know, one thing at a time, and, um, because there's no shortage of ways to be fascinated by, uh, by the world and human history. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, thank you so much for this thank you. wonderful, wonderful segment. Uh, how can the good listeners reach out to you? How can they ask you their own questions? They can email me at zaftigworks, all one word, small letters, um, at gmail.com. They can reach me on Facebook. The page is Unorthodoxy with Witch Zaftig. There's a WordPress blog called unorthodoxyblog.wordpress.com. Any one of those ways. Um, if you're sending Adam an email, uh, the info at nine cents, um, he would pass that along to me too. Uh, and so questions, I would invite uh, questions, queries, or just areas of uh, perplexity, <laughs> what you're curious about, about um, Western esotericism, magic, the occult, um, or just religion in general, even something kind of boring. I promise you I'll find something uh, interesting to tell you. <laughs> yeah. I want to ask you about that uh, LaVey essay you just found. <laughs> oh, we can discuss it after. Yeah, yeah. I'll, right. I'll let you know. All right, that's great. So let's go ahead and jump over to Agent Provocateur. Hello. Hello. Oh, is it on? It's on. All right. Hi. My name is Pat. And I used to be a smoker. I never realized the harmful effect of smoking until I lost one lung. So now I only have one lung. I spent all of my money on cigarettes. But now, I found something even better. There's this place called Isatanist. And they sell Cetilababamith and LEDs. And I like to use the LEDs. I like to light them up in my room. Cause I don't like the dark. I get scared. And it makes me breathe. And I can't breathe for that long. Because I only have one lung. Anyway, they got a lot of stuff I suggest. Hold on, hold on, wait, hold on. <laughs> Sorry, I had to take a few breaths. Anyway, I suggest that you go down to Isatanist and check out. Hold on. <laughs> And check out all the things that they have. That's right. I did say I Satan it. Alright, I'm going now. Bye. 
I am not a liberal nor a conservative. I am not a Democrat nor a Republican. I am not a socialist nor a capitalist. I am not an authoritarian and I'm definitely not fighting for your cause. I belong to no party, I support no politicians, I am loyal to no state, and your cause celebra means nothing to me. I am Darren Deicide, Agent Provocateur. I just want to thank you all for coming out to this press conference. I will be addressing many concerns and questions that have been coming up lately regarding the recently surfaced evidence and allegations. Some have suggested an abuse of power. I have good news though. I have conducted a thorough investigation of myself and have discovered that no wrongdoing has occurred. It was a tireless and lengthy investigation and I left no stone unturned. I'm prepared to take some questions, though, so let's begin. Sir, the video has been made public and the victims claim that they were subjected to undue violence. How do you respond? Well, I encourage you to look more closely at the video. You'll see that they were reaching for something. You never know what that could be. I mean, I ride the New York subways and hear the public announcements. A box isn't always just a box. You see this suit jacket? This suit jacket that I'm wearing right now? How do you know there's not a bomb in it? Bombs could be made into suit jackets. I'm just saying, there's always a possibility. Okay, they were reaching for something and sometimes a box isn't just a box, or a suit isn't just a suit, but most of the time, a box is just a box, and you ask for them to identify themselves so they reach for something. Look, you don't know what it's like to have my job. There's so much to do, I swear. I drive around all day looking for it. Well, doesn't that mean you should be held to a higher standard? Next question. Sir, international institutions have condemned this action and categorized it as extrajudicial. How do you respond? As I've said, I conducted my own investigation into this and found no wrongdoing. Well, they don't recognize that investigation as independent one. So how do you respond? I don't recognize their investigation as an independent one either, so I respond with my tongue out. Can you tell us more about your investigation? Well, I looked into myself. I asked all the questions I would ask myself. I empathized with myself and tried to put myself in my shoes. Have you tried to do that? It's not easy. You have to think, what would I do? So after looking at myself from every possible angle I could see, I found my actions made sense to me. Sir, it's been suggested that atrocities have been committed. How do you respond to this accusation? Atrocities? What atrocities? I acted in self-defense. Well, there's the video. There's also the documentary record. You have to understand, it's all preemption. Preemption? Yes, preemption. Preemption is when I anticipate what hasn't been done yet and use that as a pretense to make it look like an act of self-defense. Preemption. Is this like being able to see into the future? It's something like that. It works really well on gullible people. 
I've thought about a career as a psychic, but it doesn't pay as well. How do you know others are going to do what you think? Well, I take some pieces of evidence, extrapolate a conclusion, and then present it to the public. But what if you're wrong? I'm not waiting around for that possibility. But then doesn't that create criminality and involve people who maybe aren't involved? I've thought about this deeply and read something to address it. <clears throat> I made sure in my investigation of myself to be thorough and precise. I care deeply about the concerns of my victims and regret the pain my necessary actions haven't caused. Now that you've investigated yourself and cleared yourself of any wrongdoing, how can we be sure that this won't happen again? Well, there's never a guarantee of that. I reserve the right to do it again, investigate myself again, and indemnify myself from any prosecution. It's my weight in the world. What's the point of these press conferences then, sir? Public relations. You've got to keep your electorate happy, and give them a sense that you care. I believe they call it personability. You've got to keep up public appearances. Look at the Pope. He's really good at it. He's even got a glass case car to ride around in just for this purpose, like a mobile display case for a human being. That's what I call efficient public relations. And on that note, I'm going to wrap this up. I know there may be more concerns about this, so I might as well start explaining now. But regardless of the evidence, the condemnations, the outrage, I'm going to have to keep playing music. What can I say? It's just my calling in life, perhaps. A mission from God. <clears throat> I made sure in my investigation of myself to be thorough and precise. I care deeply about the concerns of my victims and regret the pain my necessary actions have caused. Thank you so much for your time, folks. I'm going to get back to practicing now. Goodbye. generally 90 degrees. Or, you can listen to my segment, Militant Eroticism, at the end of every month on Nine Cents Podcast. I'll either piss you off, or get your pelvis grooving. Either way, you'll be warm. another old Nick's peep show. The only segment that delivers beautiful women, masculine men, and intriguing information on all things old Nick. Joining us as always is the very first old Nick chick, which Marilyn Mansfield and her handsome man, managing editor, Warlock Zothamog. How are both of you today? 
We are very well, thank you. Doing great as always, Adam. How are you? Sweet. I'm good. I'm good. I'm a little upset I didn't prepare properly. I do not have any glass of wine in front of me, which kind of sucks. <laughs> but <clears throat> I'll fight through That's it. That's all right. <laughs> I have one. I'm... I wish I could give you a sip. <laughs> I'm drinking coffee as usual, but, you know. Nice. I'll indulge later on after dinner. Yeah, yeah I got to eat too. Um, that's funny. When you said, uh, give you a sip if I could, it reminded me. Did you guys ever see uh, The Last Unicorn, the cartoon with Mia Farrow as the voice? No. I, I have. Oh, I God, it is so good. So, yeah, there's this <laughs> scene in it where there's a skeleton that they have to kind of get past. That's a, a drunkard skeleton, and they make this concoction and give it to him. who's supposed to make water into wine, but it ended up just being water. But the skeleton was great acting. He was like, it's okay. I remember the taste. That's kind of where I am right now. I remember <laughs> the taste of the wine. <laughs> so, like, such an alcoholic. Um, okay, so it is another... Another month. It's been, it, God, it's been a really long time. At least it feels like it since we've chatted last, and we're at the end of uh, the season. I mean, we are creeping up really, really fast on fall here. I mean, just a couple days, officially, right? Yeah, yeah I can't wait. I'm so done with the heat. Oh. So done. <laughs> has Has everything started changing on your side of the continent? Uh, not enough, but yeah, I no. guess so. <laughs> It's no, like it's, it's it was like eighty four all week. Like what? Yeah. Come on. Whoa. Enough. <laughs> yeah, it's it's dipped way down into fall weather here. I mean, all of the trees are changing already. I mean, they had like started a week ago almost, and it's just the yeah. temperatures plummeted. And it is this is like the perfect time of year for me. I absolutely this and spring, the two best seasons for me. Love them. Yeah, um, I love the fall. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't mind great. the heat. I'm used to the heat, I guess. You know, my my Caribbean uh, heritage is all hot. But uh, <laughs> I love the leather weather, as I call it. Yeah. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> yeah go yeah. outside with a, t -sh with a t shirt on and your MC jacket, and you're good to go. I love Hell that. yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, okay, so, I mean, it's fall, and we got another issue coming out soon, right? Yes. Yeah. The. Um, I guess Halloween issue. Yes, yes. It's always the Halloween issue at this time yep. of year. It's uh, yep. volume five, number two, I believe. And uh, Marilyn, if I'm not mistaken, you have a little something cool in this issue, right? Yes. I did an um, interview with Mia Tyler, mm. who is um, the daughter Gorgeous. of Steven Tyler. Yeah. Um, she does um, art, which is often um, erotic themed and it's amazing. I had the uh, pleasure of uh, modeling for her for her um, survival um, showcase. Um, so I was excited about that which um, wait and, I remember and, that is that the one where it was yeah the, I was wearing like a red gas dress? mask. Yeah, my wedding dress I wore my wedding dress <laughs> and a gas mask and I had two dolls on my lap with gas masks on, on my throne. So it was just, it was you know, and, and the thing, the story behind that is she asked me if the world was ending, what would you do? And I said, I'd probably throw on my wedding dress and be, you know, <laughs> sitting there with my dolls, you know, <laughs> and, uh, with masks on. And that's what, you know, just um, daring so, it to come. Yeah. <laughs> 
And she also used my real doll, Ellie, for that, which was erotic because Ellie was topless. So that was really cool. And she had on a gas mask as well. But she also does a lot of um, fetish-themed art, which is just amazing. It's just so, you know, um, uh, provocative. And it's just so it, – it's it's tastefully done, you know? And it's yeah. just – I mean, she has such a, such a creative mind and – and um, it's, I'm always excited to see her new stuff. So she was nice enough to um, do an interview for Old Nick. That's so amazing. We'll seeing that. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited. Me is a yeah, great re- artist, great person. So, you know. I really like her art. It's like, um, what do you call it? Like multimedia. Like she uses photography. She mm-hmm. uses paint. Mirrors. Uses, mirrors. Yeah, mirrors. All kinds of different mediums to, to illustrate her her vision and it's it's just amazing to mannequins witness. she's used mannequins yeah. i mean it's you know she is truly a brilliant artist you know so um i think everyone's gonna really enjoy this and that she, and she's so awesome too mm-hmm. you know she's just totally you know down to earth and awesome person and you know i'm proud to call her a friend so i'm glad she did this interview for old nick i'm excited yeah, let me yeah. let me ask you a little bit about um, interviewing um, for the magazine because you know I I speak to people from time to time and and deliver interviews and there's a, a lot of back and forth where you're trying to draw out personality um, from people and how how do you approach that when you're um, compiling an interview for Old Nick like are there ever any hurdles you have to get through or yeah Bob. Bob has to approve of course Um, and you know I mean usually we wouldn't bring up anything you know to interview if it was if we didn't think Bob would like it you know what I mean so Mm -hmm. it's not really a hurdle but you know it's something that he needs to say oh okay Um, Zoth you want to chime in there Um, well I was the only thing I was going to add to that is that I think you have a slight advantage in knowing me uh personally so you know where to kind of guide your questions to have her you know um best answer fully about her artwork you know it's it's one thing to interview a person you don't know and you're just kind of trying to ask them questions to learn more about them it's a whole other thing to know a person and be like okay cool tell me about this tell me about (laughs) that where you kind of just set it up for them to just feed you all the all the answers you want to hear and i think that's that's what happened with this uh, great interview that's going to be featured in the new issue. Yeah. So she's an artist by every definition of the word. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. hearing or, or reading what she has to say is going to be really great. But are we going to be able to see some uh, examples of her work? Yeah, I, I plan on including a few um, photos along with the interview. Um, nice. the th- one thing I love about Mia is she doesn't hold back on anything, you know. Um, yeah. When she does interviews, you know, you're getting her her honest, you know, point of view. And, you know, I mean, I, I've i followed Mia since she was a model back in the day before I even met her. So I've always admired her, you know, um, for her work. And, mm. and then when she became an artist and she had asked me to to model for her you know um we became good friends and and um i mean it's just uh you know just great i mean the work is great she's great and i'm so excited i've never 
I'm, I'm usually being interviewed. I, I don't usually, <laughs> um, you know, do the conduct the yeah. interview. So this is like different for me, but I like it. I like it a lot, mm-hmm. and I'm totally excited. So <laughs> hell yeah, well, I can't wait and, to read that. Yeah, and one thing that the old Nick subscribers will really enjoy is that a lot of Mia's art is very erotic in nature, as Marilyn yes. mentioned. So yes. there's, um, you know, no, no censorship here. You know, you're gonna yeah. get some nudes, you're gonna get some erotic fetish stuff. It's 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 really amazing to see. And if you haven't seen it, I can't wait for you guys to see it because you're gonna be blown away. But that's that's why I was really, you know, excited, too, about the interview, because, you know, uh, you can't post uh, very erotic things on Facebook and that kind of thing. People always report it, whatever. And um, I'm I'm glad that, you know, um, old Nick is is, um, you know, going to post pictures you know, um, not post published pictures mm-hmm. of her uncensored work because it really is beautiful. You know, yeah. I and, mean, un- unless you've been to the gallery to actually witness this, you probably have only seen the censored versions of her creations. And that's unfortunate, you know, because you have to really see the, the full gamut of her, of her art to really understand the, the real erotic nature of it. And it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's breathtaking. I, I can't wait for everyone to see this stuff because they're going to be like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a really important note you just hit on in, in that w- as as a consuming audience and as artists, you know, taking the artist stance really quick, you are creating these pieces to evoke something in the viewer. You're creating them with intention. And by having your work censored in different um you know, media outlets, you're not actually getting the real piece. And so it can actually detract dramatically from the impact of the piece or maybe even the entire scope of the piece when it's uh, censored like that. So it's really exciting that we're going to finally be able to see some of these that are uncensored and, and presented in a manner the artist intended them to be presented and as a consumer a visual consumer of this it's it's really important to you know whenever we look at art traditionally we're we're not really looking past the piece we're we're looking and say okay well that you know i i accept this i don't accept this this is why i like it and within yourself within your own head but but if, if you take a step beyond that if you look at it and say this is not meant solely for me in fact it may not be meant for anyone but the artists themselves so what are they trying to say to themselves about this and if you consume it in that with that in mind in the fully uncensored i think you're going to get an entirely different message that you might otherwise get it's pretty exciting yeah Yeah, i mean like i said i'm really excited you know i i actually met her in 09 i think it was i was doing a uh, a model show thing and she was one of the judges and we hit it off right away you know became friendly and then like i said you know i model for her and and her art just i mean it's it's always something new and fresh and just Mm -hmm. so amazing you could tell that she puts you know everything into it it's just amazing and i'm so glad that old nick is really gonna you know old nick is doing a a piece on her because you know it's really really worth you know checking out seriously more people (laughs) need to know about mia (laughs) Well, they're absolutely going to with this next issue. And it's, I mean, the Halloween issue is always a fantastic issue. (laughs) I mean, going back years, it's a fantastic one that I always, always, always go back to. Um, 
Is there anything else you can sort of tease us about this issue, or are we going to have to just hold bated breath? Um, no, I, I think I, Sauce has a few teasers, right? Yeah, I, I've been allowed to divulge a few more teasing tidbits. <laughs> I will say that um, Magus Gilmore has a must-see films for Halloween piece. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yay. <laughs> um, we will also see the return of uh, fetish porn star Julie Simone, who was oh. on the cover of, um, what was it, Volume 2, Number 2. She's the fetish model. She's yeah. she's doing a shoot in this one. Um, Selena Minx will be um, featured in this one as well. Uh, we're going to get a, a photo shoot from her new movie, uh, Wear Pets. And, you know, some music reviews from me, some hot chicks, and, you know, a lot more. What <laughs> else could you ask for? That's going to be fantastic. <laughs> oh, I cannot wait. Is it too late for people to submit, uh, I don't know, ad requests? It's never too late for that. As always, they can write to info at odnickmagazine.com and inquire about um, getting some ad space in there. And, you know, people who want to be a part of future issues, if they want to submit something, if they want to see if they got what it takes to be a model, it's the same email address, info at odnickmagazine.com. Fantastic. And this is this is a great um, issue to be in because everyone goes nuts over the Halloween yeah. issue. So if you've th- been thinking about... You know, getting ad space. Now's the time. <laughs> yeah, I think There's this still is time probably left. one of those where you'd get the broadest audience. It's yeah. the biggest bang for your buck um, in this yeah. in this issue. Well, thank you both so much. Where can uh, the listeners find a little more Old Nick online? Well, Old Nick online, of course, you can go to oldnickmagazine.com. You can also find us in cyberspace on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Google+, Elo, Pinterest, MagCloud, SkinMags, XXX Cams for you. You can check out our store at Cafe Press or everywhere. Just go to oldnickmagazine.com and you can find all our links there as well as uh, links to Marilyn's Twitter as well. Right, Marilyn? Yes, that is at Old Nick Chick, and um, I post Old Nick updates Mm -hmm. and all that fun stuff. And Marilyn and I are both on Facebook as well. Yes. Well, uh, reach out to him, everyone. Uh, see, see what, let's see what's happening over at Old Nick because it's always exciting and it's always uh, uplifting. <laughs> Creepiest <laughs> way I could say it. <laughs> God damn! It's always a lot of fun talking to both of you. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having us as always. Thank man. you. We love being on. <laughs> well, until we can chat again, until next month. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. All right, people, that's going to do it for yet another show. I hope you enjoyed it. And we would, of course, of course, we would love to hear from you. I love getting correspondence from you good listeners, even when it's bad, especially when it's bad. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let us know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit us on social media, Satanet, Facebook, Google+, Plus, Twitter, MySpace. Get a blah, blah, blah to get... I can't say. I cannot speak the language uh, to uh, get updated on weekly topics. Uh, down the show Mondays via the RSS feed announcement. <laughs>
What is wrong with me? Oh, you guys know. <laughs> We're on iTunes, Last FM, Stitcher, and YouTube. Don't forget to leave a rating or a comment wherever you find us. And of course, if you'd like to learn more about Satanism or the Church of Satan, um, reach out to Zaftig, ZaftigWorks at gmail.com, and check ChurchofSatan.com, the Satanic Bible, Satanic Scriptures. Uh, these are essential people. Remember that the only way we're going to continue doing this is if you share it. Let's build this podcast together. And once again, thank you for joining me. As always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, being joined by... Beautiful Saturday. Thank you so much for joining me. <laughs> Until next week, people, hail Satan! Okay.